So I'm here with Charles Linden. He is actually this is this is happening more and more. Charles, uh, I met you through my daughter. <laughs> so yep. she's oh, you got to talk to this guy. This guy gets it, and uh, you have really been um, doing a lot of really interesting things on on the mental health recovery and and, and kind of taking a deep look into the other side of the COVID crisis. Now you're on the other side of the pond, so to speak, but this COVID crisis has been like literally affecting everywhere and all parts of the world. So we all know the, the immediate health of, of the symptoms and of, of the, you know, coronavirus itself, but talk to me, let's, let's dive deep on what are some of the, what are some of the things we're going to be facing after this is over on the mental health side? It's funny because I had a um, very long conversation and an interview on, on, a, on a channel over here called um, Talk Radio a few days ago, and we discussed the exact same thing. I think what people are ne- neglecting on is the impact of emotional response, and not only to the crisis and to the pandemic, but also the part that the emotions and especially fear has played in the, in the whole um, process since day one. Um, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy out there about whether COVID was manufactured or whether it was a natural occurrence or, you know, all of the conspiracy theories that are out there that are fear-provoking in themselves. But more than that, the way it's been handled has been handled uh, to, to provoke and manipulate our, um, the, you know, the biggest motivator in, in human nature, which is fear. And if you can control somebody's fear levels, you can control them um, to, to a greater or lesser extent. But ultimately, it's, it is one of the the greatest motivators and what I've noticed is that everything that has been said in the media everything that has been officially said by government bodies everything the CDC is saying everything the NHS are saying is uh, which is the National Health Service over here in the UK um, plays into this um, uh, this natural human instinct to protect yourself and your loved ones and it's but but not only has that been um, absolutely 100% uh, vital for the process of lockdown and of keeping people safe as a control mechanism. But more than that, it is what people don't realise, and because psychology and psychiatry have a grip on these, these conditions that, that aren't actually mental health conditions, and I can qualify that um, if, if you want me to, um, anxiety conditions, so panic disorder, agoraphobia, OCD, emetophobia, health anxiety, all those conditions, they're not actually mental health issues. They're um, behavioural conditions. They're, they're more than anything. They, 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 the the, the uh, endocrine system is implicated. So it doesn't happen in your head. There's nothing wrong with your head. But the problem is that when you are thrust into a war zone, as we all have been really, those people who were suffering from mental illness, in inverted commas, to start with, anxiety conditions, are seeing elevated levels of anxiety because they already have that condition. Those that were waiting in the wings to have those conditions activated those with the predisposition to suffering uh, are now no longer waiting in the wings. And so they are now activated and they have anxiety conditions. But the the thing that hasn't happened yet is that because we're still mostly in lockdown and because all of that control hasn't yet um, been retracted, those people believe they're frightened. And fear and anxiety are entirely different things. Fear is the natural necessary emotion that keeps us all safe. Anxiety is the disorder of that emotion. And when the kids that are now at home in the safety of their families, but feeling nervous about the life from now on, um, when they get to uh, need to go back to school, 
for university, when adults need to go back to work, that's when it will become apparent that their fear levels aren't fear at all, that their anxiety. And that's when we're going to see the escalation in uh, what would be perceived as mental illness. And it's going to be catastrophic. I don't know how anybody's going to handle it. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking of just the emotional, no, this the physical toll of being in a constant state of anxiety anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, like just on a simple level, you being worried about everything that could happen is damaging to your body. Yeah, over over a protracted period of time, it can be. I mean, the fear response mechanism in humans developed to keep you safe, but it's only meant to happen for the two, three minutes whilst you deal with the man with the gun or the, the, the you know the growling dog or the, uh, the you know the, the tiger. You know, once that fear has gone, fear is meant to stop, adrenal levels drop, adrenaline levels drop, and your body goes back to systemic balance. But in anxiety, it's perpetuated, sometimes over weeks, months, or even years, sometimes for decades. And that, that systemic change and the intersystemic change inside of your body, your gastrointestinal system, your, you know, your cardiology, your respiratory system, endocrine system, all of it is in distress for protracted periods of time in disorder. That is going to give rise to IBS. It's going to give rise to all kinds of systemic problems that cause insomnia, chest pains. And long term, yeah, it can have a dramatic toll on your physical health. I've never seen somebody actually come to harm from having an anxiety condition. But having said that, you know, I had mine for 22 years. Am I an average 52-year-old in, in terms of my fitness? Probably not. I'm as good as I can be, given the, the stress and strains that I, I was under. But I'm not sure that I would class myself as somebody who is as physically capable as somebody with the same physiology as me, because I think I have, to an extent, put myself under too much stress. But it was unavoidable because I was being, not only was I in that disorder, but my disorder was being perpetuated by inappropriate treatments, which is the case for everybody with these conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a lot of times, you know, like obviously, you know, some of my work, I, my focus has been on students and, and uh, I want to kind of like go through a lens of that. I, I know that there's also going to be, and this is where I feel um, really needs to be talked about the different reactions and the different experiences of the COVID crisis in socioeconomic classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I know um, there have been some that have just been uh, parentless yeah. mom and dad have to work or a single parent has to work and they've been by themselves. And then yeah. I've seen other things, you know, I, uh, families like saying that this has been an incredibly bonding time and they've enjoyed it those massive differences uh, are going to come to light. Let's talk yeah. about the, the kid, though, that has been fending for her or his self and what that's going to look like now. It, it all, it's very, very dependent on, on one factor, Don, and, and that is that you know, it's like when two guys go off to war. I used to work on the American bases in Germany, and I, saw, I, I lived through Desert Storm um, and, and I saw those guys go off. And... Some of them came back perfectly fine, got back to their family lives, were absolutely normal, in inverted commas, as, as near normal as you can be after that experience. Some guys came back and suffered extreme um, anxiety, panic attacks, what would be classified as post-traumatic stress disorder. And at the time, I had anxiety uh, too, so I was very aware of who they were. But what's become apparent since is that because some people have got the predisposition to suffering from these conditions and others will never suffer from it because they have the they don't have that predisposition. So if you send two guys off same age, same education, same background, 
everything appears the same, but one will come back with PTSD and one won't. So people have always said, well, why? Where is that? How does that happen in the brain? Well, of course, now I've, I understand that the one was predisposed, the other wasn't. And it's the same with this war zone, if you like, this COVID-19 war zone. You're going to have people who are in that situation you just described who are going to walk away scot-free. Absolutely fine. No um, persistent fear issues, no anxiety, no phobias, compulsions. But then you're going to get the ones that are predisposed who are going to have an obtuse response to this. And, and it's going to either activate or exacerbate their existing anxiety. And it's um, mm. the, and the thing is, that's not predictable unless you understand what that predisposition is and you understand how to filter for that predisposition. So in schools, you've got a lot of people that suffer from anxiety, yeah. but nobody knows why and nobody knows what to do about it. So it's treated with relaxation and medication and hypnosis and, and talking therapies because nobody actually understands the core condition. So what you're saying is absolutely true. There's going to be a whole load of people out there that have gone through this in isolation, young people, but only those predisposed are going to have a long-term problem with this. But that number has grown exponentially. You know, since the First World, Second World War, when shell shock was an issue, yeah. the numbers of people predisposed, the percentage has, has grown exponentially. And now you've got a, a huge group of, of society, 40%, 40% plus, who are predisposed that have just been activated. And it's catastrophic. Can I go down a rabbit hole with you? I think I'm, I'm, I'm on line with the right person to be doing this. I, I think, and it has been something that I've been working on, that a lot of things I've seen with, and again, if, if I'm like, I, you can say, nope, you're all wrong. I'm not going to be offended. I think a lot of people that are waiting around seeing what's going to happen and suffering from that, and I think the one of the reasons why we see so much more anxiety with our youth is lack of purpose. Yes. You're not working towards something, you're reacting from something. Yes. You're, you're scrolling through and seeing how everybody else is doing, and you're fearing, well, why am I not that? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I talk to a lot of my students, and, and like, I, I abhor TikTok. I just do. Why, why don't I get 50 million views for doing the same dance that everybody else is doing? Yeah. Why, like, why am I not a, a LinkedIn all-star? Why am I not? And, and, and so when you watch the news, what you've said is fear and panic. And by the way, there's a healthy balance. There is a reason to be fearful. However, you know, it is, is, do you see lack of purpose and working towards something as a, as a major problem? Yeah, it, again, you know, if you if you are one of those people that doesn't have that predisposition, you can pretty much be bored and feel bored your whole life without activating a, a fear disorder or without exacerbating your disorder. But if you've got that predisposition, uh, boredom is, is, is anxiety's biggest ally. I mean, you, if you're in a school situation and you're suffering from an anxiety condition and you are very focused, very driven, you join every club, you can, to a, a large extent, control your disorder by being involved with lots of things. Yeah, but, but you say the predisp predisposition. It seems as though a lot more people have that predisposition now. They do. They do. Well, that's like, evolution. Yeah. That's okay, evolution. so what's the, what's the origin of that? Well, it, you know, it, I, I use an example at our retreats with, with the ladies in the retreats. You know, they, they, we came up one day that 
um, about, I think it was like 1.1 million women died in mental institutions in the UK uh, between 1800 and 1900. It's, it's something like that. And they said, well, why? And I said, very easily, very simple. They were suppressed by society. They weren't living the dream. The men were. The women were at best if they were socially at that level, uh, entertaining the husband's guests, maybe doing a little bit of music on the side just to entertain the family. But they weren't allowed to exercise their intellectual potential. And the thing is, social evolution has pushed us on this massive hockey stick of um, intellectual evolution that has predisposed us and prepared people born with that to be um, predisposed to anxiety. And so, you know, your average, and I know it's an awful term to use, but your worker ant type person who kind of is born, lives, then dies, and, and really doesn't, um, you know, earns a living, has a family, um, but hasn't got any great aspirations, um, certainly isn't entrepreneurial or inventive, resourceful. That, you know, th that person will just go through life and live life in, in, in almost um, blind ignorance. The ones with greater intellect are those predisposed. They're the ones that can catastrophize at a higher level. Yeah. They're the ones that fear, have high level fears because they actually see and can intellectualize the, the fears, the, mm. the, the fear capitalists. So yeah, it's that. And, and, and you know, I, I like that. I like that difference. The, the, it really like the ability to compare is like the sequelae of the anxiety. Yeah. You know, like blissfully being unaware, like, I, like I've seen this and I'm not saying this is a, a case for everybody, but, you know, I've gone to some places that were, you know, third world countries and they were as happy as anybody. That's right. But they also weren't constantly comparing themselves to anybody else. That was their reality and they were fine with it. And, and, and what were their levels of intellect and therefore a necessity for intellectual food? I would say relatively low. Yes. They were quite satisfied in their lives because they yes. were intellectually equipped for their environment but didn't have any aspirations because they weren't. You know, American and English kids are born with this, and increasingly so now, because of things like TikTok and, and social media, they now uh, feel entitled to a life beyond, even possibly beyond their capabilities. Yeah. And, it's, and it's when somebody, I mean, you know, theft is, is, is big when people are, uh, want to be the big man. They want to have all the money. They want the big houses, big cars, but they know that they're intellectually incapable of getting it legitimately. So mm -hmm. they steal it. So they steal it. And, and that, you know, and, and the thing is, but there are cases where that isn't the case, but, but primarily people have always felt that if they're entitled to something, if they want something, if they know that they can't legitimately get it through legal means, they'll steal it. Because well, right. Means, no, know? it's that's like the news hack, you know, like or fake it till you make it. Like, yeah. it, you know, I'm going to sit. I like I'm here. Oh, there's a Lamborghini out here. I'm going to pose in front of it and pretend that it, and like let people think yeah. that it's mine. Yeah. And therefore, they're going to get a sense that I own it. And therefore, they're going to get a sense that I'm successful. And if people don't buy it, I'm going to feel terrible about it. And you see it in these um, reality shows as well, Don. You know that these people are set up; they're not necessarily the most intellectually capable. Oh my gosh! Yes, can I give you? I think the origin of that. I like. Yeah. I literally remember watching this happen at the time I was teaching middle school, which mm -hmm. is such an interesting. You know, I just love the raw emotions of you know sixth and seventh graders, and um, at the time there was this new concept of a reality show mm -hmm. and uh it was paris and uh, paris hilton and uh lionel richie's daughter yeah. gone, i forget her name uh, yeah uh, nicole nicole richie nicole richie and 
some of my students were like, I could do that. Uh-huh. Why are they famous? I could do that. And then they started acting like them. Yep. And actually I read a, uh, I read a journal once a long time ago that that's kind of where texting became popular yep. because if you think about it, like in those days, if you wanted to write the letter C, you pressed one, three times. Yes. <laughs> and so texting was unbelievably difficult, yep. but those two girls were doing it. And so yep. they would repeat it. And it was then that I saw like, the deterioration of the, and I'm not saying that it never happened. Like boys wanted to act like the Beatles or act like Elvis and, yeah. and before then, before then, but that was like, it was accelerated. Like I can be not talented, but act outrageous and then be famous and paid for it. Sign me up. Yeah. 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 And it's the, and the, you know, and, and the thing is, it's kind of a desperation. It's become more of a fad now, but you know, the, the whole Kardashian experience and, and, you know, and people aspire to be like them because, you know, you've got the first female um, Instagram millionaire, uh, billionaire, um, you know, and, and people think, well, this is a way to make, make a living. So if I at least look like them, I can half live that dream. Then if I tweet myself out there dressed like a stripper enough, people will take notice of me because that's what they do. And th- there's a, you know, there's just this massive descent in, in social, um, in, in what represents social respect and, and res- self-respect and it's it's horrendous and in, in in these you know like love island do you have love island over there we have love island over here it's um you know we're, where groups of singles meet up together and they take these people and they're chosen for their the entertainment value so they're chosen because they act mostly ridiculously yeah. but we've had a huge problem here with love island because there have been suicides post the, the program i think there have been three now in total within mm. the cast and it's because they have this false read on reality. They truly believe themselves to be celebrities. Yeah. Um, and they come out and probably get hugely disappointed by the fact that actually they're just, they're the, the objects of people's ridicule and people just think they're ridiculous for what they've done. Well, and, and just like everything else, you're built up to be torn down. Totally. Like, I, like <laughs> not, I, I feel somewhat silly for saying this, the most successful a uh, handsome quarterback in the history of the United States is hated. Why? Because he's successful and handsome. Yeah. It's uh, no, I mean, like I, I see the same thing. Like I, you know, it, Instagram influencers. Yeah. Um, become, uh, yeah, it, it, it can, you know, really spiral out of control because you do, you're like, I'm really famous. And then you start treating people less than because I'm really famous. And then when that goes away, then all of a sudden it's, it's very like, you know, winning the lottery. Yeah. You've got a lot of fans, you've got a lot of friends and everybody wants your money and then your money runs out and then you're left with nothing and a tax bill. (laughs) So the thing is all these people that are doing this, you know, are preying on young people's vulnerabilities and their, and their, um, their feelings of of self-respect and and they, what they're doing is, 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 capitalizing on on people's need to be famous to 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 get the endocrine hit to get the chemical hit that makes them actually go to bed at night and feel that they're actually worthy of even being alive and i mean when they when the sudden realization hits them that they're not you know the millionaire youtuber or the guy that you know collects um trainers you know and sells yeezys at a profit and is a celebrity because he sells secondhand shoes i mean genuinely you know (laughs) It, it just hits hard because these kids suddenly realize, actually, I'm just Dave sat in my bedroom in Birmingham, bored, and I, I'm not a celebrity. 
I want to be, but I never will be. And that hits hard. Mm. It really does. It's shocking. Yeah. Shocking. Man. And very fear provoking as well as anxiety provoking and anxiety perpetuating. Yeah. Um, very sad. Very sad. But there we go. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, having been at the, you know, the middle school and high school level, I've seen this play out again and again. And, and at times I, I catch myself sounding like the old get off my lawn kind of guy, you know, cause I, you know, I, I did a podcast um, with one of my co-hosts on Friday, Jamal. And um, it's funny, I've tracked down a listers and celebrities and interviewed them and I've gotten really good numbers. The one we did on why I hate TikTok is our number one because people are like, Oh, come on, you're showing yeah. your age. And I'm like, no, no, you don't see the other side of it. Yeah. And, and so I, I get it. Like, you know, all social media can't like a car is a car leads to more deaths than almost anything, but it's also really good. Right. Yeah. So social media, bad social media, good on mm-hmm. how you use it. But I, I, there's been something wonderfully awful about TikTok in the sense that it's, it's really, it's deceptive and yeah. it targets middle school girls, especially. Um, and, and just watching a, you know, a a, a child go through these waves of emotion of I'm famous. And then that little dopamine hit of, you know, you should post more, you know, you should post more. And then of course your numbers go down because they always do. And then you're left feeling empty. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean like, and, and I'm, and I'm all for people putting out content, Yeah, but that downside of it, I think, you know, more students need to be aware of the downside and and have realistic expectations I, I i totally agree and i mean the other thing i discussed the other day which you know i feel very very strongly about is access to to data access to content because i mean i don't know whether you, you know i mean certainly when i was a teenager you know if somebody bought um you know a pornographic magazine to school in their in their briefcase or satchel it was all very exciting for everybody because they'd never seen one before um, and if you wanted access to material like that, it was a case of finding an 18-year-old that was brave enough to go into a news agent and, and have somebody reach one down off the top shelf where they were hidden behind a, you know, with a, behind a, a sort of blacked-out bar uh, or somebody would reach under a table and get one for you. But it was all very under-the-counter, very difficult to get access to material like that. Now, a four-year-old with a phone can be looking at the, at the most horrific hardcore porn and the most uh, obscene stuff outside of normal what you consider to be normal sex acts and they can get it in a second and be sat there watching it in their living room without a parent having any role in their accessing it. And I know that there are safeguards in place on certain sites and on certain, but 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 the problem is gone. They get becoming desensitized to violence, aggression, sex, to all those things that we weren't desensitized to. And so our responses to them were measured they were appropriate, they were proportionate. But now these kids, you could show them somebody having their head blown off and they hardly blink. They've become desensitized. And of course, with that comes the fact that just living a normal life where you respond appropriately to your kids, to your family, to things that happen to people is a thing of the past. And it isn't just because of desensitization. It's, it's got to the point now where this atavism almost, it's almost like we're de-evolving. Um, and, it, and it's, it's terrifying because yeah. I, you know, ki- my kids were sent a video last week of somebody um, being crushed and it was literally their body exploded, but they, they were, Oh God, look at this. And I looked at, Oh, good God. Don't show me that. 
That's yeah. horrific. My God. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. They just got on with their lives. They couldn't care less. Oh. They'd seen it so many times before. That's got to be damaging. That's, that is certainly not acceptable, you know. Um, no. I, don't, I don't want kids to see it. But more than that, I don't want the evolution of mankind to take a, a horrible turn away from being emotionally intelligent um, because of the data that they can have such ready, ready access to. It's horrific. Yeah. Well, I, there's a delicate balance to all this, obviously. And, you know, like, like you said, it's being of the world and being in the world kind of thing. And, and um, you know, just I think this is where I really think, and again, this makes me sound old fashioned. Uh, this is why I've enjoyed being a parent mm-hmm. and being able to guide my daughters and my son. Um, yeah. And why I feel really bad for the the kids that they're you know for in some cases mom and dad have to work a lot yep. or too often yep. and they don't get that reassurance or my gosh we could do a second episode on the kids that don't have good home lives period are now quarantined in that and have to triple down on living the home life oh my yeah. gosh does that keep me up at night no me too. Uh, uh future of children in general does and i mean you know clearly i mean i come across people you know i, I last week i was helping a, a young lad that um, lives out in dubai his parents are billionaires he has the dream life he's chauffeur driven everywhere conversely you know recently i've been in a, a council house in wolverhampton in the middle of england in a very very deprived area with with a young girl that um, had chronic OCD. So I see both sides of it. You know, I'm, I've worked out in America. I've worked in Hollywood. I've worked in, in the Hollywood Hills and seen extreme wealth, but extreme wealth that has been undermined and uh, diminished uh, in, in sort of social terms by the person's chronic mental health issues. And, you know, sometimes it's been children, sometimes it's been adults. And you see all this wealth and then you see all this suffering. And you, and you and you think you know it can hit anybody, and it's yeah. the problem is we mental illness, um, you know, psychosis, degenerative disorders, true clinical depression, um, and those sort of conditions that are real mental illness. And then you've got anxiety, and of course, anxiety is a preventable condition. So it's when it's it's not necessarily self-inflicted, but certainly the people that have it don't know how to get out of it. And it forms 95% of all mental illnesses um, or more. Wow. Wow. And so it's, it's a preventable condition that is absolutely curable, despite what people are told. And it is the biggest, most um, socially and economically impactful mental health issue, if you want to call it that, in the world. And, it, and, it's, a, and it's just doubled <laughs> because of COVID-19. Yeah. That's terrifying to me. That's terrifying. So let's end on a positive note. What are some takeaways on to um, make, like say the student is listening to this and they don't have the most ideal con- you know, conditions. What are some mm-hmm. steps they can take to reframe uh, their, their journey and, and have more of a positive calming outlook? It's all about data. You know, I mean, ultimately, we all know that when we're distracted, we, we, uh, our fear levels drop, that we're distracted by things that make us feel good. And we all get, the human body and the human mind is set up to be driven by reward. You know, we all like doing things that make us feel nice, not the things that make us feel bad. So we tend to reject the things that feel bad. 
if something in your past you can identify that has made you feel good, even if it's a hobby, a pastime, something you've watched, something you've become interested in, a project you've done at school, something that has given you a sense of pride, sense of purpose, and an emotional response that has been positive, mimic that and keep mimicking it. Because see, we all know that when we're bored, when it's a rainy day and we're sat at home, we might put on a funny film, we might go to the theatre. You know, we, we are drawn to one, towards those things that make us feel good. That's what I would be doing. In the first instance, yeah. when you've got an anxiety condition, you need specific advice and you need advice from people that understand it and know how to get out of it. Mm. Actually, I wonder if there's going to be more. Actually, I have seen this. There's been kind of, again, we could do another episode on certain issues, um, kind of like AI therapy of people talking to, you know, AI bots and trying to just like talk through certain things because like the um, availability of people getting help is limited, especially now. Uh, so I just, I just wonder if, cause I'm trying to remember it, it was, um, I just l- learned about it in, uh, Peter Diamandis's new book that, um, uh, I think it's based in Japan, but basically, yeah, it was, people were opening up and confessing and, and, you know, revealing some innermost thoughts to basically an AI chatbot and they were seeing really good results, which is scary, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean- the thing is, if you know, like I said, a fear disorder is a very specific disorder within the human mind and body, and it is caused by, you know, a, a um, there's a blueprint to it, and so every human suffers for the same reason. I I can't think of a way that any kind of AI could ever work out the bespoke. Bespoke is a word that Americans don't use very much. We use it quite a lot over here, but a a personalized is what I mean, almost like a concierge. Um, plan to to move you not somebody else you to recovery because it's important that you understand the blueprint so the bones of what it is mm-hmm. when you flesh out those bones that's very very bespoke to the person and so that's the point i don't think that it could ever be taken over by a non-human but but having said that you know our program that we've been using for 24 years now and by the way i mean you know just fyi and this isn't the sales pitch but we were the first provider of online mental health care in the world, genuinely. Mm. We were the first ever to put mental health on, on the App Store um, in 2011. You know, we've been doing this a long time. And, and our, it's okay to say not everybody has access. The thing is, our portal has been used by 340,000 people. And its, it's scalability is, is into the billions, if necessary. Wow. Just having that portal would dramatically influence somebody's fear levels. And so this is why I feel so strongly about the fact that we've got to get this to everybody. It's the only psychoeducational recovery portal and program. And it's... Yeah, where, where can we find that? Unmatched. Well, um, you could go to, um, for example, the, the lindenmethod.co.uk is our UK site. It's become the international portal, really. And we've got as many Americans as we have Brits. I mean, people think we're a British business. We've never been. You know, we've, we've always been international. Um, so the lindenmethod.co.uk is kind of the international website that will tell people the information they need and lead them towards those programs. But it works like a web app. So it's, it's, it's basically an app. So you, 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 you open it on your phone through the browser and you have all of those, the instruction, the science and the support in one place. And that, that can get to millions of people. So I know that there are a lot of people trying to develop apps and other web facilities to deliver mental health. 
but this is true recovery guidance this isn't just um this isn't just talking about the condition you know That's awesome. are, and it's all administered by the way by um psychologists and psychotherapists who work for us so it's very professional and it, and it works and that's the kind of guidance that if every kid had that, I truly believe it would it would revolutionise not only their own mental health, but also uh, education. Because before you can even attempt education or anything else in life, even if that's recovery from a real um, biological condition, you have to have systemic balance. Otherwise, those processes fail because you're just not uh, you haven't prepared the ground ready to build the the building of education or the building of recovery or the building of wellness. You've got to have solid foundations, and that is the solid foundation. Oh, man. Well, Charles, I sincerely appreciate you being on. Um, we'll make sure we have all the links in the podcast notes, uh, so make sure you guys can check that out. Uh, I sincerely appreciate you uh, taking this call. I, I sense that there might have to be a follow-up because I can I can tell there might be a lot of questions, and we were just basically scratching the surface on some of these things because there is a lot to come out of this pandemic and there's a lot of things that we're going to figure out for years to come so uh sincerely sincerely appreciate you having on man not at all john thank you it's been a joy <laughs>